Hello, I'm Frederick Bell, the CEO of Elemental Altus Royalties. We're a royalty company, fast growing with 10 producing assets, a portfolio, approximately 70 royalties. Um, and uh, every year for the last five years has been a record in terms of royalty revenue. And we expect 2023 to, to be another. Uh, Frederick, good to see you. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, key to update, but also I want to talk to you about a re recent acquisition, Arizona, Arizona Sonoran's um, project is, is a good one um, and a good acquisition for you. But okay, give us those numbers for Q2. So we had adjusted revenue of $4.7 million. So that's the highest quarterly revenue we've had. And when you add that to Q1, it gets us to uh, adjusted revenue for the, for the first half of 2023 of 8.5 million US, um, which is in the middle of our guidance range. And we had guided before at the start of the year to, uh, to guidance weighted towards Q3, Q4, second half of the year. So I think puts us in a very good spot so far, continues to increase revenue as we go. And um, also importantly, I think as, as we build out the portfolio, that consistency and delivery um, that you show over time, that's what we've really tried to focus on. Right, and just just remind us in terms of the construction of that portfolio. Obviously, you, you want to get better and better and bigger and bigger um, royalties into the portfolio. But um, can you just talk about the sort of the structure as it sits today in terms of the the the, the profiles of the contributing uh, revenue royalties now? You know, what are they what are they bringing in? So our our, our two largest royalties are Casarones and Colour. Carla Winda is, uh, is an asset in Australia. It's run by Capricorn, multi-billion dollar operator. And Lundine operate the uh, Casarones mine in, uh, in Chile. And those two are our largest royalties and they contribute a bit over probably half of our revenue. So, so those really underpin it. And then we've got another additional, at the moment, approximately eight royalties. And, and those are producing from Mexico to Chile to... I think um, various countries in, in West Africa as well, but it's pretty diverse in terms of the portfolio. Australia is our biggest weighting. So it is it is quite a diverse portfolio. And that is that is part of the reason we were able to get upgrade our credit facility at the beginning of the year to a credit facility with the big banks, CIBC and, and National Bank. It was the quality of that portfolio and the diversified nature of it. Right, okay. And, and that's exactly where I wanted to go, actually, because you know, as you're kind of moving through the phases and you know, in terms of, increasing and improving the kind of quarterly numbers you're moving towards that 20 million revenue number um, what does that allow you to do with regards to the, cre the credit uh that you've got available to you in terms of the cost of that capital the volume of that capital and in terms of any kind of covenants etc based where you can allocate that capital well you've seen it so far this year already and we've done a number of royalty acquisitions we bought further part on the Casarones royalty and we did a third part on the Casarones royalty. We bought royalties on Hope Brook in Newfoundland and on the Pickle Crow asset and then we topped off a, another third party royalty on the Pickle Crow asset and then we have just announced the acquisition of a royalty on Arizona and Sonoran's Cactus Project in Arizona and we're acquiring that from RCF who are becoming a shareholder as part of that as well. So I think for us it has been consistently acquiring new assets over the course of the year, assets that are both going into immediate revenue producing assets and, and build that diversification and that, and that revenue base, but also assets that are coming into the pipeline. And our development pipeline has been supplementing, 
No, I, I, I say, I, I know, and, do, and I do want to talk about Arizona, Arizona story. And like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a good management team, you know, good asset, and you know, and and, and meaningful insight. Um, but I just want to talk about that risk profile. You know, not just how you view it, but perhaps how we sh we should view that. So, in terms of that availability of credit, are there any restrictions on where you should go? We're all conscious of jurisdictional risk. It's a very sort of, you know. Very topical, we'll, we'll frame it, uh, at the moment in terms of, you know, where companies, um, you know, perhaps are benefiting from, you know, the jurisdiction and, and others which perhaps are suffering a bit. We're looking, you know, we're looking at Niger most recently, uh, you know, even even a li little bit in, in, in Mali. There's sorts, that sort of sort of uh, nationalistic conversation over there, socialist conversations in South America. So does the, first of all, does the money ask you to manage and, and temper your risk appetite according to what they feel or are you allowed to manage and um and make those decisions on yourself and therefore what should we read into that as a result so risk i guess is the question i think the critical aspect for us is we are so well diversified across jurisdictions and so australia is our biggest waiting but we've had producing royalties in, in Chile, in Kenya, in Burkina Faso, in Cote d'Ivoire, in Mexico. Um, and we haven't just had it even in places like Australia, where we're so heavily weighted. It hasn't all been in West Australia. It's been spread across as well. So that has been really helpful because it is often, it's the caliber of the operator and the counterparty. It's the diversified, uh, I think, jurisdiction risk. And it's, it's also um, the, the, the sort of balance of revenue in the portfolio. And I think it's important to, as well, you know, highlight that even if you had all your assets in, in British Columbia, or even if you had all your assets in West Australia, tier one jurisdiction, you still have some regional risk. And I think you've seen that recently with, with the, the very sad forest fires in, in British Columbia. You've seen it uh, in the last two years in Australia, in West Australia in particular, during COVID, when a lot of mines had issues um, getting uh, trained staff and equipped staff. So I think that diversification works very well across countries. And I think the, the second point from an, this is more of an internal one, but the way we've looked at it internally is that often in emerging jurisdictions, you can get better access to projects that are less explored. And often, if you look at assets in Canada or Australia, they have already been mined for five years or 10 years, uh, and they're moving maybe open bit to underground. Our key royalty in Australia, Carlowinder, is different. It is a brand new mine, but often that is the case. Whereas we, we would quite like some of the projects we see in, in South America and emerging mining jurisdictions in West Africa, where we see projects that are far less explored, and they have got a decade of exploration ahead of them. And we really like the exploration upside. So if we can balance that exploration upside with the jurisdiction, high quality jurisdiction and producing assets that we have in, in key countries, that has been a very good, uh, I think, blend for us so far. And we'll we'll keep trying to do that as we go forward. Right. Okay. So, so, so that blend or amortization of risk across the portfolio is re really important. So for instance, um, okay, let's get it. Let's get, let's get into the Cactus Project um, at Arizona Sonorans. Um, uh, with, with their project, I should say. Um, what, what, in, what encouraged you to do the deal with these guys? What, what did you like about what you saw? Well, we've been following following the the company and project for a while. 
and as it uh, advanced the uh, both the permitting and the exploration and also i think the, the planning around the pfs that is due out next year and for us there aren't many high quality advanced stage copper projects in jurisdictions like arizona so this was a very high quality opportunity it was a really good fit for us and in terms of the counterparty we're buying the royalty from rcf they're coming in uh, and, and i'm sure a lot of listeners know rcf but, but one of the big private equity funds in mining they're coming in as part of this acquisition um and taking the entire consideration in, in equity and becoming a bit of five percent shareholder which was um their election so i think for us on on both of those counts we're getting another really good shareholder very knowledgeable in the mining space we're getting a high quality copper development asset it's adjacent to ivanhoe rio a major shareholder it's uh, i think the pfs that comes out in q1 2024 next year will will be a step stone for them a stepping stone for them and and a material uplift so for us that's really good and i think just stepping back at a high level we saw a lot of upside on the project and and we saw a lot of avenues for for, for the for the for the asset to be able to add value um and that was an asymmetrical risk profile on, on okay this one. so rcf not going to st- stepping away from this they want to continue to be in, in, involved. Um, so you've taken, you've taken this opportunity. Um, but what, what next, right? You're, we're, talking, you're kind of moving through the phases. Like it's nice accretive growth, steady growth to the bottom line revenue. That's quite frankly how you were judged or should be judged uh, in, in all of this. And obviously, the, the I guess the annuity stream of that, of that cash coming in. What next for Elemental Altus uh, royalties? How do you continue to grow? Is it just more of the same or does this give you a taste for a slightly more aggressive future or is the market not quite allowing that at the moment? How, yeah, I, how do, I, how I think when you say like steady, that? I think when you say steady growth, it, it doesn't feel like that internally. I think this is our fifth royalty acquisition so far this year in eight months. And at the same time, we have sold, uh, partnered two of our major projects in Mali and Ethiopia. So we've done seven transactions in eight months. Um, on the back of a merger uh, between Elemental and Altus uh, and a new credit facility. There has there has been a lot going on, and I think there continues to be a lot going on. If you go back to our interview from probably early in the year, we thought that 2023 was going to be a very busy year for us in terms of acquisitions and developments in the portfolio. And I think we continue to see that in H2 uh, for the rest of the year. So it is it is uh, a lot of it is is market-driven and opportunity-driven. And if you look at the, the company in 2021 and 2022, we were relatively quiet on the acquisition front. And by comparison, this year, we have we have been incredibly active and, and will continue to be. And the other point I think I would add is, and it's an important one, is, is we've been able to do some of these transactions using, um, this is a second transaction this year, using equity, where the vendors are taking equity in us. Um, and some of the transactions we've done We've, we've actually been able to maintain our, our cash balance at around $10 million at the moment. So as, as well as available uh, funds on the credit facility, we still have about $10 million because we've been cash flow positive. And so we've been able to reinvest that. And, and that in itself, the fact that we don't need to raise money to, to pay the bills and keep the lights on, that in itself has been a factor in being able to bring people in in equity and story. Um, because they can see the upside and they know that if we're raising money, we're doing it to do a new acquisition. 